it's nice to be able to see people now. <laughs> when you're right at the front, you can't really see people. Um, yeah, morning, everyone. Thank you so much for inviting Gina and me to, to come and share with you. As, as Jonathan said, any opportunity to come back for me is, is just really, really great. Um, see many, many of your faces over the years at camp or here when we were like running around and doing music and stuff. And yeah, you've all, in your own way, um, played a, a big part in my Christian journey. So great to be back with you. Um, if you want to open your Bibles, but I assume it will look at, is it on the screen as well, Hazel? I don't, I don't know. Hazel's at the back, it's probably going to appear on the screen. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Look at that. Okay. Yeah. We're going to read from Romans 13 um, and I'm going to read verses 8 to 14. Here's what Romans 13, 8 to 14 tell us. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. You know, I'll always, for the life of me, remember my, my first experience of debt of realizing that I owed someone something. I was 12 years old and I was in the lunch queue at school with my friends and I was given a back lunch in those days. So I think I was trying to get like two bites of the cherry going into the, the lunch queue as well at school when I, I had my sandwiches already ready for me. Mum had made them. And I turned to my friend and I said, oh mate, like look at those delicious cakes in, at the end of the, the queue there. Can I, can I borrow 20p to, to go and buy one? And he obliged, he gave me 20p, and I, I genuinely thought that, that, would be, that would be the end of it. I thought 20p, you know, it's not that much. But I saw this friend later that evening at youth group that we always used to go to, and he looked at me from like probably across the hall, like that was the distance, and I knew what was gonna happen. And I strolled, strolled across to me, and he, he said those words that everyone you know, dreads to hear. He said, oi, mate. And I was like, yeah, mate, what's wrong? And he said, have you got my 20p for me? And I was like, oh, no, okay. So that 20p that I thought you were giving to me actually was a debt that, that you wanted back. I, I owed you this money. That was the first time I'd experienced debt at quite a young age. It was a sobering experience. Um, but all of us, to some point in our lives, will experience that feeling of, of owing someone something. Uh, if you want to buy a house, then you need to get a mortgage. That's a huge debt that you then owe a bank. If you've got a mobile phone contract, you are also in debt. You, you owe the company that has lent you this phone a certain amount of money every month. 
Now, just quickly before I move on, if debt is something that you really struggle with um, because it can quickly, you know, get out of control. Um, Christians in Poverty, amazing charity that work with people that are in debt. But this isn't a sermon on, on financial products primarily. I'm mentioning this because the concept of debt, the concept of owing someone something, actually has a big part to play in the life of the Christian. We don't do a debt to God anymore as Christians. Jesus has paid that debt for us. That's what communion reminds us of. Jesus died for our sins again to defeat death. The obedience and the love that you and I owe God has been paid in full by Jesus. And we're all the better for it because we could never come close. But what this passage does show us, Romans 13, it shows us that while we don't owe a vertical debt anymore to God, we actually do owe a horizontal debt to each other. Here's what we read in verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except, says Paul, in his letter to the Romans, the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So having become Christians, we now have a debt of love to pay to those around us. In other words, we have this continual obligation to love each other. But why? Why is this the case? Why do we have to love each other? Well, verse eight again, for whoever loves is fulfilled, the law. Now, when I read this passage the first time, this was the point where red flags started to go off in my head. I thought, well, hang on a second. Hasn't, hasn't Jesus freed us from the law? Did Jesus perfectly fulfill the law so now we don't have to follow it to, to gain a right standing with God? That's what the book of Romans is all about. So, so why do we need to obey the law? Why do we need to, to fulfill the law by, by loving others, as, as verse 8 says there? Well, as Christians, you and I, we don't need to follow the law. We don't need to, to, to be made right with God. Jesus has done absolutely everything necessary to secure that relationship. Jesus' perfect human life fulfilled all of those boxes, ticked all of those boxes, and then Jesus gave that right standing with God to us. So we can come before God and worship him and promise him, knowing that we won't be turned away anymore. But Paul still wants us to stick to the spirit of the law here. Why does Paul want us to stick to the, the spirit of the law? Why does he want us to fulfill it? Well, Jesus in John 13, verse 34 and 35 says these words. He says to his disciples, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So Paul is writing these words, and this echoes what Jesus said in John 13. He's saying that if you look like the law, if you love each other properly, then you will be displaying Jesus to those around you. This is how they will know you are my disciples, you loving each other. So when Paul says, love others and fulfill the law, it's really important just as we start this. He's not saying love others, and then God will suddenly let you into his kingdom. No, that's already been done. He's saying, love others, live the way God wants you to live. Do this, and you will please God. You will basically be fulfilling the law, which tells us how to, to love God and please God and love others anyway. You'll be making God look good. You'll be giving him the glory when you love each other properly. You see, as Christians, having experienced such an amazing love, from our heavenly father 
having tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Now we should want to obey him. Now we should want to honor God from that place of acceptance that, that we have. Now, as Christians, and you've been in a church for five minutes, you've heard this many times before, um, Christians should be all about loving others. From kind of day one, you are told that Christians should, should love. But my question really from this passage is, what does loving each other look like? And how can you and I love each other well? How can you as Great Parks Chapel love each other really well? What does this passage stir you to do uh, in response to this command? I suggest that there are two things. Two things that we need to understand uh, and do in order to best love each other. The first thing Paul encourages us to do to love each other properly is to one, understand our heavenly context. And I'll explain this. Understand your heavenly context. And number two, simply by being outward and not inward. Um, being outward and not inward. So let's look at that first one. Understand your heavenly context. So Paul is encouraging you to love each other as the church um, with an awareness of the bigger picture. Verses 11 and 12 say this. So love each other and do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. So what Paul is doing here is he's saying love in the context, love with the knowledge that there is a day that is coming and it's closer and closer and closer. There is a day when Jesus is going to return. He is going to rule and reign and he is going to bring about this final judgment of all people on behalf of his father in heaven. And Paul is saying here that that context matters, knowing that matters when it comes to loving people properly in the church. Let me give you an example or two to explain. At university or at college or basically all of my studies were not like answering right questions. I had to write lots of essays, which is really exhausting. You have to write thousands and thousands of words um, all the time. And nothing makes you work harder when you have an essay to hand in than suddenly realizing that the deadline is like a week away. When you realize that actually you're going to be really pushed time to, to make this deadline. The uni, there were a few times when I'd be kind of messing around, having a good time with friends, you know, gallivanting, having a, you know, a rip-roaring hullabaloo of a time, living while we're young, enjoying the, the things that has given us to enjoy. Then I'd realize that my essay was due to my... So what, what would I do in that moment? Well, I dropped everything, including at my time, at the time, my new girlfriend, Gina, I'd just drop her. And I'd say, I need to go to the library and I need to do some work. And I'd close off the world. Let me give you another example of this context. You've all been there, maybe even this Sunday morning. You're standing in the kitchen and you're enjoying, uh, you know, the nectar that is a cup of coffee in, in the morning. You're in your pajamas, uh, the birds are singing, the sun is shining, although not today. Uh, the wind is howling, whistling. You're so thankful you're inside. And, and what usually jolts you into action to suddenly get the kids ready for church, to, to get out of your pajamas and into your, your church clothes? It's when you look at the clock and it says 10 a.m. or 10.15 a.m. or 10.20 a.m., depending on how, how you know, living on the edge you are. We've all been there. Suddenly, when that moment happens, that the coffee is, is down your gullet, you're not tasting it anymore. It's just pure energy at the point. Um, your makeup's on, teeth brushed, maybe even teeth flossed if you've got enough time. 
your shoes are on and you're out the door within five minutes. You see, the context that you live in and suddenly realize you're in dramatically changes the way you live your life. An awareness of the future, an awareness of the, the imminence of what is about to happen suddenly shakes you from your laziness and your lethargy to then get out the door, to go and finish that essay, um, to go and do the things that need doing. And it's the same feeling that Paul's appealing to here, really. Paul is saying, pay off this debt of love with the knowledge that Jesus is returning soon. Jesus is going to come back. Because when you know that Jesus is coming back, suddenly that reminds you that actually this world is temporary. The people that live in it who do not know Christ are not going to be able to enjoy God forever. They're going to be in hell ultimately. They're not going to be able to be with him unless they return to God and turn away from sin and come to know him again. When you suddenly remember that Jesus is returning, that people need to hear the gospel, um, that Jesus is all that matters, that should shake us from our lethargic attitudes towards life. That should stop us from not loving people and it should make us love people because we realize that is what really matters. And this ought to be immensely practical inside the church and also outside the church. Um, as a church, if, if we are constantly looking up and reminding ourselves that Jesus is coming back, we're not going to spend our time focusing on minor squabbles, minor doctrinal differences, or personal preferences. We're going to spend all of our time and all of our energy loving each other and telling people about Jesus. But we, just, we need to look up first. We need to remind ourselves of the context we're living in. Outside the church, telling people about Jesus is, is a natural thing that bubbles up within us when we're constantly reminding ourselves that Jesus is returning, that he is closer now to Paul than he was when we first became Christians, that the clock is ticking to when Jesus comes back. In the same way, the clock is ticking when you're suddenly realizing you need to get ready for church. The clock is ticking when you suddenly realize that essay is due in and it shakes you out of that stupor. That is what we need to do as Christians. You see, it's so easy to forget the truth that this world is temporary. It is so easy to forget that God is the ultimate source of goodness and love. Philippians 3.19 describes this really clearly for us. Let me read it to you. Paul describes people who have a mindset where, you know, we get too comfortable. He says, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. You see, the context of God returning is, is nowhere near. But Paul says this then, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, we know our citizenship is in heaven. We know that the new heaven and that the new earth is coming about soon. So we should, as Paul says in verse 12, we should put aside deeds of darkness, put aside the rubbish that gets in the way, and put on the armor of light. Put on the things that are going to help us love each other properly and tell people, very simply, the message of Jesus Christ. And that is how we love others well. We tell them about Jesus. We tell them how good God is. We tell them that he is worthwhile following because we have tasted and seen the goodness of God. And we're going to explore that further in this next point. That's the first point. When you understand your heavenly context, you love each other really well. Um, second point, 
we love others well by being outward and not inward. This is what Paul's getting at, particularly in verses uh, 13 and 14, 12, 13, and 14. So basically, Paul encourages us not only to be loving and outward here, but he also actually gives us some really vivid examples of basically what it looks like to not be loving. He says, if you want to know what love doesn't look like, then look at this stuff. Um, so verse 13, he gives us these basically examples of, of twisted inward human behavior. It, it, it is the opposite of what we read in verse 9 about all of the, you know, the good things that the commandments um, encourage us to do and turn us away from. So here are examples of this inward behavior. Um, carousing, drunkenness, sexual immorality, debauchery, uh, dissension, and jealousy. And it's an interesting list that he's picked to say here, but all of these things are just destructive in the life of, of anyone, but especially in the life of a Christian trying to live for God. Let me just go through them, because I think it's, it's worth briefly considering the impact of all of them. Um, some of you may have experienced the impact of all of them as well. Drunkenness, um, alcohol abuse, one of the leading causes of physical, emotional harm within the home. It maybe helps you deal with stress or gives you a momentary satisfaction, but what about the people who need you to be present in every moment, the family that rely on you? Um, alcohol, as is clear even 2,000 years ago, when used badly, um, negatively affects everyone that's connected to you, ultimately. And when drinking is a priority, it, it usually means that other people aren't in your life. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Sexual immorality, um, sexual acts outside of marriage or not in God's design can cause harm in several ways. Um, previous partners induce jealousy or you know, comparison, heartbreak. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 speaks of the injury that sexual immorality can, can do to your soul as well. The fabric of your being, and, and it affects everyone that you're with as well. Jealousy is an emotion that you think you can tame. Jealousy kind of, you always think it's kind of all right, you can keep a lid on it. But actually it's incredibly controlling. And the Bible shows us that it always leads you to hurt others as well. Um, Cain was jealous of Abel's offering, um, and it led to the first murder in the Bible. The jealousy of Joseph's brothers led them to fake his death and sell him into slavery. And not only did that seemingly, um, by God's grace, it didn't, but seemingly it destroyed Joseph's prospects. It also destroyed their mourning, grieving father as well, the whole time, Jacob. And their own lives were marked by guilt as well. Um, Jesus' brothers really struggled with that thereafter. So you've just got a few examples of how these things Paul is mentioning are disastrous. I think it's so easy when we read lists like this to kind of take them with a pinch of salt, but the Bible displays to us how bad these things are and even worse for, for Christians. And the thing that's linking all of them is, is verse 14. At the end of verse 14 um, says that these are the things effectively that gratify the desires of the flesh. Do not gratify the desires of the flesh, says Paul. And Paul uses that word flesh in a, in a lot of his writings, but it's basically uh, a description of the, the sinful self, our sinful nature. So when we engage in drunkenness, jealousy, sexual immorality, says Paul, we are quite literally feeding are our sinful selves. It's like there's a beast within that we just keep giving things to, to grow stronger and stronger. Loving others um, in this darkness isn't even on the agenda. In other words, they are all inward focusing. All of these things that Paul is describing are not about loving others like he's just encouraged us to. They're all about loving the self. 
But here's where it gets really exciting in this passage, because Paul gives you a better way to love. He says, don't just um, stop loving yourself. He gives us a, a better love to, to focus on, a better love to, to pursue. He says that instead of gratifying the desires of the flesh, you and I should instead, one, verse 12, put on the armor of light, and two, verse 14, clothe yourself with Christ. And this is the opposite of everything we've just read. Now, these are a metaphors. I'm sorry to say that when you become a Christian, you don't get given your own personal armor of lights and you don't get given like a Jesus jumper to wear. But think with me for a moment about what these metaphors mean, because I think they're really exciting. Armor is designed to reflect attacks. When we're being told to put on the armor of light, we're being encouraged to, to deflect, to, to effectively put away from the self. And that is what light is. It's not just armor, it's the armor of light. Everything about that image is outward. It's reflecting, deflecting, putting out. That is what we should be wearing. We are to exchange the inward self-loving deeds of darkness for an outward shining armor of light. They could not be more different than, than what Paul is saying here. They are completely opposite. And when we're told to, to clothe ourselves with Christ, we're basically being told to put on love itself. Because when you clothe yourself with Christ as a Christian, um, it's like you're putting on his qualities. It's like you're putting on everything that Jesus is. And the beautiful thing about Jesus, um, the beautiful thing about the God we worship, is that everything Jesus did in his time on earth and in his time in heaven right now too, um, is other-focused. Everything Jesus did is, is outward. Jesus could not be more different to those awful qualities that Paul was listing. Let me give you a few examples. And, and as I read, just be amazed at the God we worship. Luke 7, 13, we read that Jesus sees a widow. And this is a widow that no one gave a moment's notice in those times. And he looked at her and his heart went out to her. And he says the words, don't cry. Can you imagine hearing that as, as a widow? In those times, Jesus comes in and says, don't cry. That's the God of the universe who understands and wants to, to speak to us in our tears. He is other-focused here. Matthew 8.13, when a man with leprosy, a man who people wouldn't even touch in case they caught the disease. I think we can kind of get a vibe from COVID of what that's like. We stay away from people now. But leprosy was way worse. No one wanted to touch this guy. He comes to Jesus, he says, God, please heal me. And Jesus reaches out and he touches him. He says, I am willing, be clean. In that moment, if love wasn't on the agenda, Jesus would have recoiled and gone elsewhere. But Jesus is being outward and loving because that is his very heart. That is who he is. Matthew 14, Jesus looks up at this crowd of people who basically haven't bought their packed lunches. And they're hungry, um, starving. Jesus doesn't tell them to push off, like I think people would today, like go and get a meal deal from Tesco's or something. Jesus, we read in those, um, that passage, Matthew 14, it says he has compassion on them, he heals their sick, and then he feeds them. That is other focus, that is love personified in Christ. John 13, none of the lowest of the low servants have bothered to wash any of the disciples' feet. Um, what does Jesus do? gets up and washes the disciples' feet. That was like one of the worst jobs in 
um, Roman times. Feet were really dirty and the worst servants did that, but Jesus himself did that. You see, when loving others is on the agenda, Jesus is what we look like. Jesus is what you'll look like because he's not bothered about himself. He genuinely wants to show the love of God to those around him. Jesus reached out for the marginalized and the ashamed, the people who needed help. And ultimately, where else could that lead Jesus but to the cross? When we, in our sin and in our shame and in our desperate need of a savior, Jesus reaches out to us as well. And he pays the debt for our sin and he dies on a cross. And even when enemies are spitting at him, even when enemies are hurling abuse at him, even when it would be so easy to not love, what does he say from the cross? He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It's incredible. It really is. And that's the same Jesus today because it says Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And he lives in heaven and he's interceding for you and for me. Some reason, some crazy reason, Jesus, uh, the one who was most worthy of other people's love, went around as he walked to the earth as if he was the one that had a debt of love to pay to others. That is the pattern. That is the standard that we're called to as Christians. Now, I want to finish um, by thinking about what I've just said and actually the, the standard that this passage calls us to. You have been asked by Paul to constantly pay off this debt of love to those around you, to ensure that you have this heavenly perspective always that shakes you from lethargy, to, to not gratify the flesh, but to put on the armor of light and to clothe yourself with Christ. Now, ask yourself honestly, take a good hard look at yourself here. Um, does this sound like something that you think you can do? Because let me be honest with you for a moment. Um, in my sin... Left to my own devices, I am way quicker to, to show a lack of love to people than love. I'm way quicker to judge than to reach out like Jesus does. I honestly have a me perspective and not a God perspective most of the time. Um, my immediate context often clouds that heavenly context that Jesus is returning. The things of this world often seem far much sweeter than, than God himself. You see, here's the thing. If you leave Great Parks Chapel this morning thinking that you just have to work harder to love, um, then you'll fail. Because primarily that is not what we're able to do. I can guarantee you there's something you need to, to learn um, here. That's that we need God's help in this command. Left to our own devices, we will fail. Uh, we still live with the sin that so easily entangles. But there's hope in this passage too. There's one more thing you need to learn about the armor of light and clothing yourself with Christ here. You see, Paul understood that we needed help in doing this. You, you put on armor because without it, you're vulnerable. You put on clothes because without them, you're naked. Armor and clothes both perform a function we cannot perform by ourselves. Paul is using these metaphors to get at the fact that we cannot love without help. We cannot love in and of ourselves. We're too sinful. So what do we do? We need to come to the end of ourselves and realize that we need God's help to love each other properly. Romans 5.5 5 says this, 
God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, that's the key here. You all need to understand that ourselves, we can't love, but when we understand and we come to God and we acknowledge that he's given us his Holy Spirit who now lives in your hearts, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, that is how you'll be able to fulfill this. That is how you'll be able to love each other properly. That is how ultimately you'll be able to conform to the pattern of Christ, not to the pattern of the world. If you're a Christian this morning, um, I don't know your hearts. Um, please do not think that you ought to leave this place uh, thinking that you have to try harder to, to pay off this debt of love. Leave this place painfully aware of the fact that you cannot in and of yourself pay off this debt. But then in joy, throw yourself at the feet of Jesus. Wake up every morning knowing that you need help to love like this passage encourages you to. And then praise God. Because if there's anything we've learned from just looking at Jesus right there is that Jesus can and will and freely and will readily uh, give you the help that you need to pay off this debt of love to those around you. Shall we do that now? Let's pray. Let's throw ourselves at God and ask for his help. Father, thank you so much. First, that Jesus is just love itself. We look throughout the Gospels, the narratives, and we see something immense. We see someone who is so concerned with others, so concerned with your glory and uh, being outward and not inward. And thank you that that led him to the cross. Uh, that led Jesus to die on our behalf um, so that we would both die with him and be raised with him to eternal life. And Father, as we wait for the day when Jesus returns to rule and reign in the new heaven and the new earth, help us to look and be shaken from lethargy, to be shaken from thinking that the things of this world are better than you, uh, to be shaken from forgetting that you are best person we could live for you're so worthy of our praise uh, and lord until that day help us to know that we do need your help if we're going to love like this left to our own devices we will stumble and fail over and over again but thank you god that you have poured out your love to our hearts by your holy spirit we just we just ask that as we leave this place um Help us not to just try harder. Help us to first throw ourselves at your feet. Ask for help if we're going to look anything remotely like uh, what Paul is asking us to be. And from that place, will you help us to try hard, to, to throw off the things that easily entangle. Um, Lord, we praise you and we thank you that you are a God who is love, that you show us what love looks like. And help us to make much of Christ, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.